your word and we thank you that you do speak to us through it. And so we pray tonight, Lord, that your spirit will um, speak to our hearts and, and give us uh, a view of how we can work in this world as, the, as humans, as, as, as your people uh, that you've created and so that we can work for that purpose uh, as, as we, under you as our God. So we do pray for that in your son's name. I came across this news article um, that was really interesting. It was, uh, it was about a student in, Thai, uh, in China, sorry, a, a primary school student, and he was identified being part of a, a group of young people that were called the Young Pioneers of China. This was a group of young people who were urged to be tough and fight for communism. And this, this kid was, was recorded as giving this four-minute speech, and he explained how he felt pressured and, and exhausted by life. In this speech, this is what he said. He said, you work hard but only see limited returns, like you're in this endless loop. I want to be rich to overcome the meaninglessness of life. With money, you can do whatever you want. This is a primary, school, primary age school student, like 10, 12 years old. And it's funny because in China, you've got this president, right, who believes in the China dream. The China dream is this vision that urges young people to work hard and help rejuvenate the nation. You've got this primary school aged kid who just sounds defeated and disillusioned already at 10, 12 years old. Man, hashtag sad life. This video, like, and this video went viral. This kid just looked depressed. And if you don't know what Weibo is, Weibo is the Chinese version of Twitter. All these Weibo users went online and some said things like this. What the boy wants is not just money, but freedom in life. To be able to get rid of the hollowness of life. Another Weibo user said, this kid has got it figured out. At such an early age, it took me three decades, right? Now, I find that interesting. I find that interesting because what we hear all the time in the West, what comes out of America, what comes out of Australia, is that millennials, we struggle with that same idea. That work is this necessary evil. And there are articles and YouTube clips of people in this generation explaining how you can quit your job and retire at the age of 30. They, they say, Work is this necessary rule. You can make passive income instead. Make passive income, get out of the nine to five. They want jobs that are comfortable. Low stress, but comfortable, high paying as well. You know, we want our work to make an impact, so we want to go, you know, work for non-profit organizations. We want to supply clean water to impoverished nations. We also want them to be high paying, so, you know, you get that work-life balance. And the one that I hear the most, that, that cynical little me just smiles at when I hear someone say it to me, like my real estate agent, oh, I love what I do. I haven't worked a day in my life. And that's nice. That's nice that you're positive and, and positive about your work. But underlying all this is an idea that no one actually likes the idea of actual, hard, mundane, pointless work. It has to have a purpose. It has to give us happiness. It has to bring freedom. And if it doesn't give you all those things, then work itself is just really just a necessary evil, isn't it? Now, if you don't know me, I grew up in a migrant home. My parents are Asian. They moved here uh, 35 years ago. They worked seven days a week for 30 years in Australia. Seven days a week while raising six kids. Now, that was hard work for them. And if you ask my parents, why did they choose to work? Why did they choose to provide um, things like milk and bread to their community? That's, it was just a general store, a convenience store. I, I, I promise you, they, didn't, they would not say to you that they, it brought them joy or freedom. I don't think they cared much about making an impact. What they cared about was making enough to survive. 
to ensure that myself, my sisters, could get educated so that we wouldn't ever have to work as hard as they did. You see, for my parents, work was the means to, to financial freedom and security. And so I'm asking you guys today, which camp are you in? What do you want from your work? Fulfillment? A sense of purpose? Status? Freedom? Security? We, we spend so many years of our lives working, and yet so many of us wonder, what's the point? Because isn't it true that work at times isn't satisfying? Isn't it true that statistically we change careers up to eight times in our lifetime? Isn't it true that our jobs aren't secure, like what we heard this last week with Telstra slashing 8,000 jobs? Isn't it true that our relationships with our colleagues can be messy and difficult? Our generation's outlook seems more like a, a dream, doesn't it, than it does a reality in this world that we live in. And maybe that kid in China's right. We all just want to escape the meaninglessness of life and work. And so how can we view work the way God does? How can we flourish in our world as humans who have to work? Today we're going to focus on these, on these verses in chapter 2 and what it means to know the God who works and calls us to work for His glory. Right? You, you see, much of our lives and our stories involve our work. It's part of our lives. Uh, whether that's work that's paid or unpaid or even our hobbies, we all work to some extent in our lives, don't we? Uh, some people might work for money like a, a gardener, but for me, I like to garden as a hobby. It's all still work. To be human is to work, isn't it? And so, you know, we've, like I said, we've titled our series, Our Story Begins, and Genesis gives us a lot of beginnings. It tells us about the God who created the world, the God who created you and me, and today it's telling us about the God who worked. And when work is such a major part of our lives, we need to know that our story of work begins with God at work. So have your Bibles open. Let's read chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to go through this together. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work or creating that he had done. I'm going to stop there. The first thing we need to see is this. That we have a God who works, and our work matters to God. He speaks the world into creation. That is his work. What we see in chapter 2 in the parts that were read as well from Grace is that he formed man out of dust. He breathed life into his nostrils. Let's, let's read it in verse, chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Verse 8, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Go down to verse 15 as well. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so God is doing, he's, he's working, he's getting his hands dirty and, and he's, he's working in the ground to form the world that he is creating. Now this is interesting for a number of reasons. Remember in the first week I talked about how around this time, the why, during the context, the context of this book of Genesis, it was Israel and, and other nations surrounding them, their ancient Near East cultures, what they believed was that the earth was formed through gods being at war with each other and, and the, the goddess called Tiamat was torn into two and there was the sky and the earth and that was the world. And humans in those stories, they were created for the purpose of being slaves. Their job was to actually, their work was to actually serve the gods. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because here in, our, in Genesis chapter 2, 
God actually creates humans to work alongside him. But let's move on further in history, and we have the ancient Greek culture as well. If you guys know anything about the ancient Greeks, what did they believe? They believed that the material world was bad. So if you, if you did things like philosophy, think of Aristotle or Plato, when you did philosophy or poetry or politics, that was what was good and noble. That was what was human, to be more like the gods. The gods used their mind to think. They didn't use their hands. Getting your hands dirty, doing labour work, that was dehumanising in the Greek, ancient Greek cultures. Here in Genesis, we learn that God got his hands in the dirt to form man and to plant trees. And so there's a few things we need to, to think about here. God did created and did his work and he saw that it was good. Last week in chapter 1 verse 26 we're told human, humanity is created in God's image to rule and steward the earth, right? Here in 2 verse 15 the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so our work matters to God. Our work is good. The world is good. We're created with purpose and meaning to work and that is good. From the outset God created us to work, friends. And God worked. And so there's two things I want us to say how our work matters to God. Firstly, it creates order. Just as God created order through chaos, our work too creates order. And if you're, if you're an accountant here, accountants, you bring order. Did you know that? You actually bring order to the chaos of spreadsheets. Lawyers, you bring order to the justice system. Doctors, you, know, you hope to bring order in, the, in your diagnosis when, you're, you're, when you see bodies that are ill or injured. Yeah. The teacher brings order to the chaotic classroom. The engineer engineers solutions and brings order to what is chaos. The architect brings together different materials and ideas and forms them and creates order to them. The florist brings order through arranging colours and designs. Performers bring order when they rehearse their sets and choreography. No one does work that does the opposite, do they? Do you know anyone who does work that creates chaos in society? That people will pay you money to do that? No one. I mean, that's why, if you ever watch the Batman movies, that's why Joker is such a good bad guy. You know, he just wants to see the world burn and he creates chaos. But in humanity, in us, what's innate in us? Innate in us is, is that we're created to create order. In the way that God created the world, he created order out of chaos, and he created us to do the same. But the second point we need to understand is that all work is good. And the Bible from the outset gives work this, this dignity, not unlike, the, unlike the, the Greek culture. Part of our humanity as humans is to work, to steward, to create, to fashion, to invent, to mold, to maintain, to arrange. If God creates us in his, in his image, then the work we do, the work we do with our heads, and our hands has dignity and value, doesn't it? Now, obviously, there is some work in this world that isn't good. Work that is illegal, work that exploits creation, work that abuses or objectifies people. That isn't good work. But I'm saying God created us to work in a way that is good to reflect him. And all work is good when we work. Now, this flies in the face of... of the ancient Greeks because what good work was was thinking just only with your head, with your mind. And this actually happens a lot in our culture, doesn't it? Think about it. Our culture elevates those who are in industries that are knowledge-based, where they're tertiary educated, where they work in big offices or private clinics. And we've adopted the way the Greeks think about work. When we see work that's high-paid and 
high status. We envy and we put them on a pedestal that this is what a flourishing human looks like. And so society, we don't elevate the truck driver, the cleaner, the supermarket, supermarket checkout person, the factory worker. We never say it out loud, but it's not hard to believe that many of us think the service sector isn't as important as the knowledge sector of our society. You know, I was on the online the other day and tagged a few of the guys here. There's an Asian meme reference. What your parents um, want you to be when you grow up. And the four options you have are doctor, lawyer, engineer, and disgrace to the family. <laughs> that, were, that were the four options, right? And so to, in, in our generation, and this is not just for Asians, I don't you know, this is to everyone, but this is, what, this is what we do. We elevate these types of careers, these, these, this, this type of work. But to God, all work matters. It's how he cares for creation. I want to show you this, that through, through God's providence, his love and his care for creation, what he does is he creates people who are, who are good at cleaning, who are good at being factory workers, who are good at being truck drivers, how do you get the food on your plate? Because we have farmers who grow crops for us to eat. And people who, if it weren't for them, allow for society to stay in motion. We're all designed differently, with different opportunities, and God wants us to have different work, to serve the creation. We're called to steward. All work is good, friends. But in our generation, in our tech-filled world, we just want to save and change the world tomorrow, don't we? Everybody wants to start a revolution, but nobody wants to wash the dishes. We want to be extraordinary, but sometimes when we see work before God, before God, being ordinary is actually a wonderful thing. The reality is that we need to reshape the way we see work. God worked, and we work, and no matter what that work might be, there is a dignity and work. If you do it, whether it's using your head or your hands, whether you're a tradie that fixes things, or you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be a musician or a teacher. It's wonderful to be a job that does clean offices and toilets. It's totally okay if you didn't attend uni. It's totally okay if you're an artist who doesn't make as much as a businessman. It's totally okay if you're washing dishes in the back of a restaurant. Your work doesn't demean you. And so we're all part, we're, we've got to see ourselves as all part, part of a, 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 a puzzle, pieces of a puzzle that, that makes creation good. And it's through our work that it happens. So whether you're white-collar or blue-collar, and whether it's exciting, challenging, or whether it's mundane and repetitive, it reflects the God who created and worked. And so we've established that our work should create order, and that our work has value and dignity and matters to God. But that's not always the reality we, we see in our world, is it? Our story of work is actually affected by the story of our world, and, and just like our world is subjected to frustrations, our work is often frustrated too, isn't it? <clears throat> Flip with me to chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, just the next chapter. We didn't read it earlier. I'll read it for you now. Chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit, fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. What's happened here is Adam and Eve uh, ate the fruit that they were commanded not to eat. So they rebelled against God. They sinned, essentially. That's what Christians call sin. Rebellion against God. They rejected God's uh, rule, and sin entered our world. 
And so what we have is when we see work now, work is never as good as it intended to be. Work has been twisted. Thorns and thistles, that's what it means there, that when you work, it's going to be hard. There's going to be toil. And so while some of us want to create and invent and excel, we're often left dissatisfied, aren't we? We're often left frustrated. We're often left feeling like our work is futile. And I know many of you here who have told me how futile your work feels sometimes, where you wish you didn't need to work at all, but you need money, so you'll keep working. And if you get a chance to read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, it's all about that futility in life. And it's true, we want to create order, but things always fall out of order. We want to solve problems, but more problems come up. We have customers or clients that bug us. We have patients who don't do their exercises or take care of their body. We have bosses at work that aren't ever happy. Problems that just can't ever be fixed. We have to arrive on time or get fired, even if it's freezing on these winter mornings. I was talking to one of our guys earlier this morning, and the hardest part of his work as a manager in his company is managing younger colleagues who would rather spend time on Instagram than do the work assigned to them. Work often feels like a drag than it does good, doesn't it? A necessary evil to support my family or support my lifestyle, my holidays, my weekends. But work for the sake of working? No thanks. Work is just a means to an end. We've all felt that at some point, haven't we? We hate the pressure of work. The work is a means to our livelihood, and that's the reality some of us face in life. It does feel futile, but we still have to do it. And so we we work in order to live. That's the thorns and thistles. But for others, work actually twists the way we see ourselves as well. For others, it's not just we work in order to live, we live in order to work. It becomes our identity. It defines us. We define ourselves by our way. It gives us a sense of worth. How often have you described yourself by your profession, your career, your, your job? Hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm a doctor, I'm an engineer, I'm a consultant. I'm a banker, I'm a pastor, I'm a mother. I'm a singer, I'm a parent, what, whatever it is. How often do we define ourselves by that? That's our self-worth, our, our confidence, our, our sense of confidence is defined by how much we've accomplished in our work and in our status. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I know my work can be so consuming sometimes. I'm a, I'm a pastor, I work for God, but it can be so consuming sometimes. It affects my relationships, it makes me look inward, it affects the way I see myself, it affects the way I do my family at home, my, my private time. It's just all-consuming at times. And in this Western context, in our Western context, I think it's, it's really true. In, in the words of um, Tim Keller, this U.S. pastor, he says, as if work is our identity, then when you're successful, it gets to your head. But if you're a failure, it gets to your heart. Can we say that again? If work is our identity, then when you're successful, it gets to your head. But if you're a failure, it goes to your heart. And it's generally true, isn't it? It's why receiving criticism can be so hard and why validation for our work is so important to some of us. And we've elevated the work that we do to a position where it becomes what defines us. And as a result, it enslaves and it shapes us. Sure, we become successful in our field of work. We reach the top and it gets to our heads and we think, well, because I'm so good at this work, I'm I'm good at everything. (laughs) Look at me, look how amazing I am. But you and I know that's not true, is it? You might be an expert in your line of work, but you might not be an expert at how to parent a child, for example, how to have a happy marriage, how to plant a garden. 
really, you're just like the rest of us. But it gets to our heads and it shapes the way we see ourselves and the way we even look at others. Or perhaps we get to that level of expertise and, and something happens. Our health deteriorates, we get injured, the financial crisis hits and we become redundant. A reality many of us might have or will have faced in our lives and it ruins us. I was reading an interview with Guillermo del Toro. He's a director, he's done movies like The Shape of Water, Pan's Labyrinth, and he talked about how when he couldn't make one of his movies that he started and he, he, had, he was gunning for it, and this was his reply when he couldn't make it. He said, oh, you just want to commit suicide. You never get over it. Never get over it. So when I'm designing, I always try not to get too crazy because I know it could happen that it doesn't get made. But I can get into a deep depression for a long time when that happens. That was his reply. Yeah, and that's often our reply. When we get so consumed by our work that it defines us, that's often how we feel. When we don't get that validation, when we feel like a, a failure in, that, in our line of work. And so my question then is, how do we then flourish? With the thorns and thistles in this world, in our life, in our work, how do we flourish as humans who work? How do we work, whether it's paid, volunteer, or a hobby, how do we work in a way that's restored to what it was intended? I said earlier, our work matters to God, but we also need to know God matters to our work. The Christian faith shapes, should shape our work. We can have our outlook on work restored and redeemed when we look to the one who brings us back into a right relationship with the God who created work. And that's Jesus. You see, what Jesus accomplishes in his work, not just as a blue-collared carpenter, but as the one who, who came to work to come and die on a cross for our sin, he restored work to its rightful place. What he does is he allows us to flourish in our work when we see the God that matters to our work. Jesus transforms the way we see it. He does it in a few ways. Let me explain. The firstly, Jesus allows us to work for the good of others. When we look to Jesus, we see the one who actually has reached out to us, who in his work serves us, who in his work, through the calling God gave to him, did good for the sake of humanity. His work wasn't for personal advancement. Jesus, in his divinity, served creation and humanity by his death and his resurrection. That was his work. And so God has called us to our work, whether that might be a factory hand or an investment banker. He's called you to do your work in a way that does something good in our world and for others. And so the work itself is valuable. It doesn't matter how much you get paid. Before God, working with your mind or with your hands, God has gifted you and prepared you for a way, your work to contribute to the world around you. That's what God has formed you for, through Jesus. And secondly, we no longer need to seek out an identity in our work because we have a new identity in Jesus, friends. See, through Jesus, we see God's love for us. We become children of God. We're given this new identity. We're defined by Jesus. No longer an identity that's temporary as you know, by our work, which is temporary, that goes with highs and lows of our jobs. But the work we do is driven out of an identity that we now have with Jesus. We no longer work for ourselves. We get to work for the God who created us. The God who gives us passions and skills and opportunities to work. And guess what? When we work, we get to eat. I don't know if you knew that. But if that's not enough incentive, friends, we get to work for his glory. And not our own. Because by his grace, we've been given this greater identity that doesn't depend on the success or failure of our work. It depends on the sacrifice and the person of Jesus. 
Jesus transforms the way we see our work. He allows us to see that the rest that God takes on the seventh day is the real rest that we can have because our identity, our security, isn't in our work. It's in God's hands. We can have the eternal rest from this life and the hardships, the frustrations, the futility even, because God actually has given us the greater rest in Jesus. So what does that mean for you and for me? What does it mean to be a, a Christian in your line of work? I get asked that a lot. It means you do your line of work with excellence, knowing you get to work as someone who's been saved and redeemed and given a new vision of your work. You get to work to image a good and great God, friends. You might have asked this question before, what does it mean to be, I know we have a lot of doctors here, what does it mean to be a Christian doctor? What does it mean to be a Christian engineer? What does it mean to be a Christian trader? What does it mean to be a Christian barista? You make coffees for a living. What, how does your Christian faith impact that? Well, it's to make good coffee. That's it. To make good coffee for your customers. To be a Christian doctor is to care for your patients. Well, if you're a Christian architect, you design the house that your client wants. If you're a Christian bus driver, guess what your work is to do? It's to arrive safely, bring your passengers to their destination. Christians all have the work as God's people to tell others. You know, it's, it's, it's great to tell others about Jesus during your work time, if you can. That's, that's true, but that's not your work. That's not your work as a barista or a doctor or a trader, or a musician, florist, whatever it is. If you get to, then great, but that's nice. But your, your calling is to do the work you do with excellence. Why do I keep using that word excellence? Well, last week we spoke about being made in God's image. We're called to represent God. He doesn't make ants or bees in his image. He makes humans in his image. But think about the ant or the bee that works, right? Worker ants. Think about the intricacy of their homes, the colonies that they build. Think about the work of a bird. They build their nest for their young, right? They, they, they build it with twigs and they feed their young. There's this beauty. There's this excellence to the way creation is. It cries glory to God. But if we as humans are made in God's image, how much more are we called then to work and steward the world we live in? How much more should we care about our work and do it with an excellence to bring the glory of to bring glory to the to the God who created us and caused us to do it? To do your work with excellence well is, is to do it in a way reflecting the Creator God because in itself is valuable. It's valuable for ordering, loving, and maintaining the world we live in. In the book, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, John says, when God sends us forth to work as his image bearers, our, our ditches are to be dug straight. Our pipe fittings are not to leak. Our cabinet corners should be flush. Our surgical incisions should be clean. Our word, presses, word processing, accurate and appealing. And our meals, nutritious and attractive. Because God is a God of order and beauty and competence. He says it so much better than me. As, as we do our work with excellence, we serve God and we serve others. If I could be more concrete, I, I read these responses from people who were asked how the gospel affected their work. An investment banker answered this, I serve our creation by providing information to put money to use in productive areas of creation. I serve people helping them prepare for retirement. I serve the gospel by teaching people not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. 
A mother was asked the same question. She answered, I serve creation by using recyclable nappies. I serve people by raising children who are taught to serve others. I serve the gospel by using my time to build relationships with others. We might need to figure this out on our own. How can your work, how can you work in a way that serves God, that serves others, that serves our created world? But secondly, when God matters to our work, it also means we work with integrity and honesty. I know many of our members here are new graduates or are still early on, their, on in their journey as full-time workers. Uh, and I've worked in offices before where it's so easy to just cut corners and to make decisions that might not be honest for the sake of the company's reputation. What does it mean then for us, for, for our faith to set the direction of our work? It might mean making hard decisions your boss won't like. It might mean taking a stand. Sometimes choosing a position where you're not participating in a decision that might be against your convictions. That you might have to explain your rationale. You might even have to take the risk of getting fired. Now, I don't know how this is going to work in each and every circumstance, but it might mean you leave the room or whatever, abstain from it. But your work matters to God. And God matters to your work. So let me encourage you to allow your faith to impact your work to impact the decisions you make, and to do them with integrity and honesty. The reality is we all work in a way at times that is, that is motivated by self-interest, that is motivated by fear, self-seeking, glory. And we can't look at this in a, in a black and white way in this broken world that we live in. Yes, at times, reality is work is just a means to an end. At times, work will become our identity when we don't want it to be. No matter how many of us think we can do our work in a way that is other people-centered and selfless, serving our world, the reality is we don't do this entirely well. I had a friend who isn't uh, a Christian, but she says she's proud of me for doing a job that helps others. And in my head, I'm thinking there's nothing proud to be, you know, there's nothing to be proud about. I'm a sinner. I can let my work get to my head. I can be self-seeking. But there is something liberating when I can rest in God and surrender my work before him. You might be punching numbers, cooking a meal, building a house, dispensing medicine, but you and I can change our perspective so that it doesn't enslave us, so that our work isn't futile or meaningless, but an opportunity. Yes, an opportunity because of the freedom, the security that you have in Jesus, where you can glorify the God who designed us to work and reflect his glory. We need to keep eternity in mind, friends. We will all be forgotten one day. We might not ever finish or complete our work or our ambitions. Lawyers know this. We want a vision for justice and equity and peace. I was on the website of the International Justice Mission organization the other day. They had this promotional video of what they do and what they do, and I love what they do. They have this big vision of eradicating cyber sex trafficking in our world, which is fantastic. But the lawyers in the room, they know, we know, we might not ever see true justice in this lifetime. Doctors, we, you guys feel this. No matter how much your work can do, ultimately our bodies are all dying. We can only prolong and make it comfortable for people. Sometimes much of our, much of our doing doesn't feel like it's making a big impact in our world. But it does. Every good work can matter forever if we have it in perspective. As Christians, we get to look forward to the perfection of work. The city to come. And there'll be a day when, as lawyers, that lawyers, there'll be perfect righteousness. There'll be a day when, as an accountant, all the spreadsheets will be balanced. You know, there'll be a day where there'll be no more pain, and our bodies are, aren't imperfect. 
There'll be no need for doctors or dentists or physios or health workers. We will work. Yeah, we will work still in heaven, but our work won't be futile or fruitless or frustrating. But until then, we get to work in this world, anticipating that world to come for the glory of God as his image bearers. And I know that the, the pressure that we have around us in our generation, I know that millennials, they want to work with purpose, they want to have happiness, they want to make an impact. But friends, we don't have to be defined by the stereotype of our generation. Let's redefine our generation and our view on work as Christians who believe that work is what God designed for us to do. And it is good. And it is purposeful in his eyes. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we do thank you for, for you, for being you, for being our God, for being a God who, who has modeled to us what work looks like, that work is good, it has dignity and worth, and it brings order out of chaos. And Lord, we know that work is hard in this life, in this world, this broken world that we live in. We know that there are thorns and thistles with work, that it feels futile at times and meaningless. It sometimes consumes us and becomes our identity. We pray, Lord, that as we look to Jesus and we know what he's accomplished for us on the cross through his death and his resurrection, we pray, Lord, that that will transform the way we see work. We pray, Lord, that we will work with knowing that we get to work for your glory, that we get to bear your image in this world, that we get to um, do it in a way that um, yeah, reflects a God who creates, a God who sustains, a God who loves his creation. And so we pray, Lord, whatever industry, whatever work we do in our week to week, in our daily life, Lord, that we'll be able to do it in a way that is that promotes excellence with honesty and integrity. And Lord, through it, Lord, may we bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.